for another Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Diolis. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com. All past episodes were on Instagram or on Twitter at Pinball Profile. Email pinballprofile at gmail.com and check out our Facebook group. Josh Sharp for years, for years has said, you know, if you can ever get this guy on, that'd be like, you know, finding the unicorn, so to speak. I'm like, are you kidding? In a heartbeat, I can get this guy on. I'm proving it right now from the IFBA. If you like that website, you should be thanking this guy and a lot of changes that have happened in the IFBA and competitive pinball. Brian Shepard here on the program. Hello, Brian. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Josh said there's no way you'd ever come on. Uh, He can be wrong about a thing or two. We're going to go over a lot of the things he's wrong about in a second here. But I do want to get a little history for how long you've been with the IFBA. Uh, basically almost from the beginning. It's been 16 years now, I think. 16 years. So you've seen this growth now. I think we're probably not too far away from seeing 100,000 unique players join the IFPA. We're certainly over 90,000 now. And when I joined, which was eight years ago, I think 23,000 when I got in. So it's just booming. Yeah, it's just been, I think it's definitely gone beyond our expectations. Is that good or bad? Growth is always good, but... It requires a lot of people like yourself, the Adam Beckers. Uh, you've got people in Europe and others that are looking after this once little thing known as IFPA. Um, it's good in many ways and bad in others. Uh, the growth is always good because we want pinball to be a marquee sport. Uh, it's bad in the ways now I have a lot more competition to play at tournaments that beat me. So, <laughs> Joking selfishly, of course, top 100 player Brian Shepard. When I first came in, I think all tournaments were worth a base of 25 points. Didn't matter how many people. And then, of course, they changed that. There have been a lot of changes. Well, actually, that was the very first rating system was uh, basically the NASCAR system, where first got 25 points, second got so many, and so forth. And then after that first year, I basically told Josh we could do this better. And I don't remember the second system we had, but it was based on some level of skill, so the bigger tournaments were worth more. And that's kind of what started this journey is to be accurate as much as possible, but promote the growth and and make tournaments, you know, the better tournaments stand out than the lesser tournaments, basically. So what constituted a tournament back then? Were they all the same style? Um, It was basically if you held an event. I don't think we had nothing about formats. We didn't have nothing about uh, rules or anything. It was literally just if you held an event that did some kind of event or some kind of format, we had no restrictions or nothing. Now, I thought... The competitive pinball scene and really IFPA was more for leagues than tournaments. Am I wrong? No, actually, the reason why leagues were used heavily up front is because we didn't have a lot of the great locations we have today or even a lot of great tournaments. You know, at the time, geez, I think the first year we had Papa, California Extreme, and Texas, and maybe a few others, Expo. But that's about all we had. We had probably 10 events a year. So the leagues played an important part of filling in the gaps because back then, 20 years ago, Everybody had home collections. We didn't have the barcades and stuff existing. So it was a great way to fill the gap. But if we go back 30 years ago, there wasn't the internet to find out about these things. I mean, you're in Ohio and, of course, all the manufacturers in Chicago and stuff, they knew about this stuff. I only found out about this when somebody on Facebook in 2014 said, hey, we're going to play pinball at someone's house. And I said, what? They are doing, he has a machine? Oh, no, he has 11. Ray Boyle out of London, Ontario, and I'm like, wow. I went there, and that was the hook. And then they told me, well, there's tournaments. There's this, there's this. That's how I got hooked. But how did people know about this before the Internet, before Facebook, before really any kind of social media? 
Well, for IFPA, it was definitely the internet that helped. Um, but I think it's just the word of mouth at the shows, just like your story. That's I think we all have that story, right? Where we knew somebody that joined our league. Like we used to have the Ohio League, and a couple of people from Cincinnati we knew joined. A couple of people from Dayton joined, and then we have a waiting list, and it just grows from there. And then I think we see the same story play out in the barcades. Now we have the leagues and barcades. People start joining, and just word of mouth. And I think. Not just with tournaments, but I think the whole industry, right, with normal pinball, collectability, you know, people collecting, it's a self-feeding mechanism. I should point out, you're probably wondering why it's so loud here. We're actually at <laughs> Cleepin in Independence, Ohio, just near Cleveland. A wonderful show and an easy show for you to get to, but these shows are certainly an example of the growth of pinball there everywhere. Not just shows, but tournaments and Barcades are kind of coming back a little bit. The home use of pinball is definitely amazing. higher than it's ever been. <laughs> oh, no, it's amazing. I mean, just think, you know, 15, 16 years ago, we would have the Ohio shows probably started. I forget what officially started, but, you know, now we have three shows just in Ohio. There's so many shows I can't even pick what I want to do now. And and this show today, the amount of people here was just amazing. I think, I think it's the most I've ever seen here. It was butt to butt. You couldn't do anything. <laughs> and not to mentioned the c word but again you know there's still the the covid thing that we're coming out of and you know some of the hotels have been certainly (laughs) suffering this show i couldn't come to last year for the first time in several because i couldn't cross the border yeah i couldn't come last year uh not because of that because i was waiting to see a little bit longer with the was early with the covid stuff yeah i was surprised they had it honestly but but uh i'm glad we're back i think we'll be at full strength probably next year i think everybody's starting to come back more and more and uh it did a wonderful thing with the rankings. It reset everybody, basically. So, <laughs> Well, I was wondering why that wasn't paused. And you mentioned resetting. So when we look at the top 100 players, top 200 players, really we're looking at what they've done in the last 18 months, probably by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, I think we did talk about it briefly about doing that. But the truth of the matter is um, it probably would require a lot of changes on our back end to support that since we want to do the three-year rolling window. And that was probably just, at the time, we were just didn't really want to deal with, given you know everything else going on in life, right, with COVID. <laughs> I'm talking to Mr. From the Back End here, all right? <laughs> so when he says, yeah, that would have been a lot of work, he's basically saying, uh, yeah, not happening. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, during the first few years, uh, first couple months of COVID, I really didn't care about pinball or working on the website and stuff. So, But I will say this, it's definitely revitalized my interest in pinball. Before COVID hit, I was starting to get burned out quite a bit, bit with the website, with playing in competitive pinball and stuff like that. So it did help. But but back to your original question real fast. I think the reason, the re, one of the reasons why we didn't want to pause it is just simply because we knew everybody would come back. Once things started coming back, it caused a gold rush of people wanting to come back and play competitively. And for those that came back, it allowed them to get back in the rankings much faster. I do want to sincerely commend the IFPA for suspending it when it did and putting safety first. 100% agree. And also taking advice from the different country directors. Are we able to do this? Is it ready? And it wasn't a 50% plus one vote to say, okay, now we're good. It was, you were looking more for a, a bigger majority. Yeah, and that's true. And uh, one thing I do want to point out is uh, a lot of people think Josh is a dictator when it comes to the IFPA, and it's farther from the truth. I mean, I'm on the forum with the country directors and the state representatives and, and, and the women's board, and everything is ran by those folks for input, and we have some very heated conversations about stuff. Now, he will occasionally pick something that you know he firmly believes in, but the truth is, you know, we take a lot of input from people, not just today, you know, in the past as well. You know, a lot of people helped with the rankings. 
helped with like certain ways to do things just to make sure we're trying to be as fair as possible. But it was a group effort to make that decision to pause things. I think the point structure was a big change, and it came from a suggestion out of Europe. So the original point, so back when we um, moved away from the NASCAR system and then we got to, you know, we did some work for years and we did the 5.0 system. Patrick Bowden from, um, might pronounce his name wrong, from Sweden, he helped with it a little bit and uh, he had a friend that was a mathematician. So he was helping kind of cover some stuff, you know, making sure kind of we were, you know, crossing the T's. No bugs. No bugs. Well, no, but the honest truth is what did a lot of it was is I got laid off from work and I spent three months literally doing daily rebuilds, trying to get the system tweaked as possible. But, uh, and then over the course of those years, that's when we came up with ideas about adding ratings and strength and stuff like that. Like, how can we make it as, I mean, as accurate as possible for a positive-only system? So it's not like a traditional, like, uh, rating system like chess, where it's a negative-positive scenario. We want to encourage people to play, hence why it's like that. But, but yeah, a lot of people have contributed over the years. Now, when you talk about a 5.0 change in the Whopper system, the ranking system, that's a major overhaul. And I can't remember, but I want to say it changed the points that you previously earned. Is that correct? Uh, no. Actually, when we started... It moving forward? Moving forward. So, so for I t- thought one of them was a changing back, no? No. So, so when the 5.0 system came out, we started that January with that system. Anything prior to that date, those three years prior, was built with the old calculation. In fact, if you look at your profile page, you'll see calculated with version 5. Oh, okay. That's why I said that. It's not important now since it's all gone. It's no longer you know, valid. But, no, we did keep it the same. So if we had to rebuild you know, two years prior to 5.0, it built the old way. We tested it, and it was not fair because we didn't know all the particulars about those tournaments. Because the other big change with 5.0 is, is that, came, that was the TPG calculations and grading every tournament on their merits where prior we would have the main tournament and the classics was always half of the main tournament yeah that's right so that was the big thing i wanted to push for was what if classics was more competitive than main division it should be worth more who suggested classics should be worth half let me guess um i don't remember the full story behind that i know me and josh talked about we wanted to encourage more competition and, and since um, Expo did a main and classics, we said, hey, you're on a classics at the same time, you get half the value of your main division. That's kind of how that developed. I'm glad that didn't pass. Because if <laughs> well, you look. It did at first. That, that first couple years, at, like the what? Like, year two, three, four, five, that's what we did. Absolutely. But as you see all these big tournaments, and I'll name them the <laughs> IFPA World Championships, Indisc, Papa when it happened, yep. Pinburg, they all included classic games. Right, but remember back then we only had 10 shows a year. So that's, okay. that was the driver. But now that we have places like District 82 and, and uh, with the Delaware Collective and stuff like that, that growth was coming, so we needed to start grading everything on their own merit. I think that's a good idea. It actually makes sense that you didn't go back and uh, recalculate because it would make sense. And with a new 5.8, you're not going to go back and change. Like, we now know that Indisc will be worth 200%. It's a major. Uh, before, I think it was 150. You just did the certified. You're not going to go back and change all that. So it's always moving forward. But my goodness, when I look at what's going to happen in January... In 2023, you got a lot of changes. How did these changes come about, and where do I start picking at them? Are you talking about the 5.8 changes? Actually, I like most of them. I really do. <laughs> like, I was worried leagues would die before this 5.8 change. 
because we're seeing tournaments and multiple tournaments in days. And I thought, wow, leagues are now just social because they're not worth anything. Uh-uh-uh, you've changed that. Yeah, um, honestly, I wasn't involved a lot with those changes. I know Josh bounced a lot off them off me and obviously the country directors and stuff. I mean, that's one of the goals, right, is we want to make the ratings and rankings as fair as possible. But when it comes to change, we never retroactive anything, except I think three occasions we don't change midstream. We change at the beginning of the year, so we try to snapshot the year the same. Unless somebody finds, like, an exploit or something. Like, it's happened a few times. But it's all about, you know, what we see. If we see certain trends that may be bad for pinball, or for competitive pinball, I should say, you know, we look to try to address that. Um, what is a bad trend for competitive pinball? Well, you're going to put me on a spot here. Yep. I do think something, and sorry, Eric, if you're listening, something like District 82 doing seven tournaments over three days it, it produces an interesting problem where it becomes the Whopper Farm. And it, and it makes it harder for other regions to have that, to earn those points. I will say this. I will offer a counterpoint no matter what you say. <laughs> so I will say this in defense of Eric. Anybody can do that. 100%. And I'm not, I'm just picking on him. Uh, I know others are starting to do it as well. Boras. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Actually, let me say. Fulda. Yeah, yeah. So let me say this. I've been it from that because I've been going to every one of them. I've been driving, ah. I've been driving nine hours to get there and play. But it's an interesting scenario when you think about it, when you're trying to talk about equality for for everybody. And we can't solve everything, but it's it's an interesting problem. So, when you take the top twenty scores over the past three years for a player, what if they're all from the exact same place? Is that fair? Has that been discussed? It has been, and I've heard people say, well, maybe you should restrict, like, the m- number of majors you can go to. Maybe reduce the card. You know, we've talked about maybe the card becomes 12 versus 20. So there's less events you have to go to to get your your top, your your, your points. Well, remember, when we started the rankings, when we, we didn't have a card the very first year. And we instituted the card, honestly, because Trent would have won every year. Because he was going to every Because it's volume. Yeah. So... For those that have not played competitive pinball, and I think most people listening to Pinball Profile have probably dabbled, whether it's a league or a tournament here or there, whatever you do in a calendar year is worth full TGP, whatever that tournament's worth. But after a year, it goes down to 75%. So if you won 20 Whoppers, now it's only worth 15 in year two. In year three, it's only worth 50%. So 10 Whoppers. And after year three, it's worth zero. So it's the best you can do, the best 20 events you can do in a three-year period. That's correct. And the whole reason why it does that decay is to promote current play versus somebody that did good three years ago and is just resting on their laurels. But again, as we mentioned earlier with COVID, because there weren't any events for a year and a half, really, we're looking by the time the end of the year happens, it's really who are the best players over the last 16 months. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really interesting. Uh, a little stat for you. I looked at in March when we started back up, the, the number of points in 100 or 250th was 100 three years ago. Or the reverse of that. I might got it reversed. Basically, whatever you, the, the, the points you had pre-COVID for 250th spot was worth 100th place this year. That's it, a lot. It's weird. I saw my, during the decay, if I was, say, 80th in the world, when the decay started happening, because I played so much volume, at one point I was 40th in the world. I hadn't played a tournament. <laughs> but it was just the volume. People were losing tournaments and maybe not having 20 on a card. I pulled a Trent Augustine is basically what I'm saying, Brian. Well, and that's what's happening this year. You got everybody traveling to try to fill their card back up. And honestly, that's what I've been going to District 82 is I want to make Germany next year. And if I don't do it this year, I probably won't do it ever just because of competition. 
So what you're talking about, Germany, that is IFPA 18. That is the World Championship, which is amazing, expanded to 80 players. They've always had the top 64 players, and you fill that with the top two from every country. And then there's also the North American champion. There's also the European pinball champion. And now there's the women's champion and a few other things. But it's expanded to 80. That is a long time coming. Yeah, um, I'm glad we did that. In fact, we were talking about that at Becker's uh, three years ago. And then when he announced it this year, I did joke with Josh that he did it because he was lowering the rankings this year. So get him in again. But it was good because we have so many more countries now playing that eventually they're going to fill all the slots. Well, I think what happened, and I'm not sure if it was Italy, but the person who was 64th didn't actually get in because of all the people that took up the country spots, and that seemed a little odd. If you're in the top 80, you should probably make it. I think it was even less than that. I think it was 46. Well, there you go. Yeah, it, it, it was I, the first time it happened. Yeah, because it um, it's gone down every single year, and I think we had 23 countries represented this time. So I can't remember the exact number, but but I know we're going to have more because, like, Argentina's playing now. So. Well, when you play in Europe, you probably have more countries when you play in North America. I would assume so. It's just easier to travel. Well, that and you have, I mean, now you have New Zealand and Australia, all these countries that wasn't playing 10 years ago. Um, the growth was there. So we had to go to at least 80. And it may grow more once, you know, I know Taiwan's playing competitive pinball now. Did I mention I'm moving to Romania? <laughs> well, at least you'll be able to uh, have a chance for the country exemption. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> that's the next Pinball Profile World Tour event. No, that's going to be exciting, and certainly that is the race. We see a lot of people, whether it's the Stern Pro Circuit, although I don't know how much people are really racing to get in the Stern Pro Circuit. When that reduced to 20, I thought probably there's less competition because there's probably more people in that 30 to 50 range that think, oh, I'm on the bubble, I need to go to events, versus, oh, I'll never make the top 20. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to predict. <laughs> It is interesting. But, okay, let's talk about some of the changes happening in 2023. I mentioned earlier, I think what you did making leagues worth a little more is probably a good thing because it's a lot of time and investment to go. It's really done for a social reason, but there are also points involved. And now you've got some new rules for leagues that, depending on the size of your league, there are some limitations as well. I find leagues are going to be worth more in 2023 than probably they have been for the most part. Maybe not the super leagues, but for the most part. Yeah, I, I like the change because, um, you know, I play in a house league. We meet every Friday night. And I also play in a public, you know, barcade league. And I think it's good to help separate the public leagues because they have an opportunity to bring more people in and have bigger leagues than the private leagues, you know, which, which are great. And they fill their niche because it's great being able to go to people's houses and hang out. But those are more limited in fashion. So it's a good change to allow the public leagues that can hold 50, 60 or more people, reward them for being more competitive. The certified, we saw that in 2022, and it's changing a little bit in 2023, but it's going to continue. Uh, Different limitations. I think you had to have 64 rated players. You had to have so many games played. You had to have a a playoff the following day, so to speak. Couldn't be the same day. Those exist. It's now expanding to 128, but worth a little bit more. That's kind of interesting. And then uh, what we've done with kind of majors and minor majors, if you will, worth, worth a little more juice. So... A lot of emphasis on big tournaments. Yeah, um, I think some of this harks over the changes over the last couple of years where you start having like these one-day tournaments that were so valuable, they became like what like Expo was worth or like Cleepin, like we're here you know, this weekend. And I think the certified events helps bring back that, um, that atmosphere was like a multi-day event. Well, a lot of what we do at IFPA has been modeled kind of off of BGA. 
Like, what do they do during golf? You know, the golf weekends and stuff like that. They join Liv. Yeah. No, they're not Liv. But uh, I'm not a golfer, and I even know that controversy. <laughs> but it's it's all about, you know, a style of, of an event. And I think the certifieds help do that, where it's just not you show up for six hours and you get, you know, 90 points for winning. You have to really, you know, look at this weekend. Look how much we had to play. Well, I qualified, you didn't, but, you know, it's... Uh, Take it easy. It was sixth in classics there, champ. <laughs> that's true. I didn't make classics, but uh, but you get my point. It's to help reward, again, the bigger events that require a lot more competitive play to get, the, you know, to get your points, basically. Is that just kind of the eye test, if you will? Like, when you say some tournaments were being run and they were worth more than Expo and they were done in a day, is it just that they were too efficient? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's weird that a lot of people are just like, well, you, you know, you just don't like the way certain results are. And, and that's true to some extent. You know, we, when we first built the ranking system, you know, one of the things that was clear definitely, you know, 15 years ago is, you know, Elwin was the GOAT. And I think he just won like two or three like world championships in a row. And, you know, he had to be number one, right? So when we built the newer ranking systems, you know, we looked at, okay, who's been playing really hot? Who's been good? If they're not at the top of the rankings, the rankings can't be trustworthy. And that's happened with others over time. People try to create their own and, you know, and keeps out in the top 25. How's that legit? And the same thing goes for, you know, decisions we make. If um, there was a tournament uh, held one year where you played one ball on the F-14 and it became the number one rated ranked tournament in the whole year. No. We had 170 people play one ball on that 14. Wow. <laughs> and so so when he's, that's obviously an extreme example, right? I think like recently, um, and I don't know the full details, like why fr- like Frenzy, you know, me and you talked earlier about oh. this. Oh. I don't know the full details why that got cut. I think there's, you know, there's some problems with that format personally, but I had nothing to do with the Frenzy cut. But it's something, you know, you do look at it and it, any system has to pass the smell test. It can be mathematically correct. You know, and every scientist can look at it and say, yes, that's correct. But if it if you don't see, you know, Raymond or Escher or Keith, those people that are actively winning tournaments at the top, then you know something's wrong. And that's the whole point of it. Now, you can clearly go through the rankings and say, oh, this person's ranked 400th and we know they're a better player. You know, it is a system you have to play in to be ranked. But I think most people agree if you look at the top 100, it's pretty sorted out. I think it's pretty accurate. I'm in there, so something has to be wrong. You're a good player. I think you deserve it. (laughs) I didn't make the playoffs, as I was just reminded a second ago. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I will say this about that efficiency thing. This is the smell test I don't get. A tournament that you play 25 meaningful games is not as important as how long it is played in. And, And why I say that is, this weekend we played a lot of games, but meaningful games, how many did we really play? Five counted on a card. And then you played playoffs. You could pump and bump and pump and pump and pump and dump over yep. three days. Whereas other tournaments, every single game counts. Not pick and choose, not dump. I guess what I'm saying is a tournament that has the same amount of games played done in three hours, I don't understand why it's not worth the same as something that's done over three days. That's a good question. Um, I know when we originally started the TPG or GP, I get the initials confused all the time. Part of it was the main question we're trying to ask is what does it take to win? And in this, in the Klee pin format, the herb, pump and dump, whatever you want to call it, the reality is you only need to play five games to qualify. Now, does that happen as much today? No. If you look back seven, eight years ago, you, you could probably look at the top five and they probably played less than seven games to get qualified. 
So some of it's, you know, maybe it's something we revisit it. Maybe we start making Herb worth a little bit more since it takes so much time. The time, uh, the length of qualifying was supposed to help with that a little bit. But the truth is once finals started getting expanded to make up that value, it really didn't matter. And people get really creative on these, you know, trying to get the TPG. I do agree, and I kind of see your point where, like, that's what the certified events and stuff is supposed to help with, to raise those values. I do wish my personal pet peeve is that I don't like having the 125%, 150%. I would rather recalculate and where 100 was always your, your top game. So if your, week, your weeklies would have gone down to, like, 70 or 60 versus 100%, because it's just a number, but at least it, it's, a, it's a capper. It's 100%. Yeah, when you nerf something like, and I'll use this example because I've been vocal about it, the flip frenzies, <laughs> you've nerfed it, and when you've expanded the other one, so you've actually double nerfed it, really, because it, it'll never be a certified, it'll never be a major, so the opportunities just aren't there to expand beyond that, and that's fine. I will also say this, I've said it on Final Round Pinball Podcast, I think actually most flip frenzies are not run properly, and I think that's a real disservice to what could be a fun format. I think, and I've said this before on tilt forums, you need to have a win-loss differential. I've seen flip frenzies that run, oh, it's the most amount of wins. Well, that means nothing. You can go 20 and 19 and beat somebody who went 18 and 0. Well, who's a better pinball player? The 18 and 0 person. So win-loss differential is important. I think you have to insist on a playoff <laughs> because you at 20 and 0 may have never played anybody in the top four. And you and I have both done that. So if you have a playoff, guess what? You have to play the top people to win. And it's match play. It's not another flip frenzy. It's match play. I think there are other things, too. You have to have only so many people in the queue. I think you can only have so many people in the tournament. If you have 10 machines, you can only have 20 people in the tournament. Things like that, as opposed to having this ridiculous queue where you only get a certain amount of games. There are a lot of things. My point is, the nerfing was a blanket move, whereas there wasn't a solution to fix it and say this is a legitimate tournament, this one is not. And you probably could have got rid of 90% of the flip frenzies and just said do it this way and we'll count it. Well, I'm going to, uh, I know you're a Canadian, I'll plead the fifth though. On that. No, seriously though, um, honestly I wasn't involved with a lot of that discussion on the changing flip frenzy. I do think it needed changed um, because as you mentioned, I won a tournament in Columbus where I didn't literally play the four best players in a tournament. Was there a playoff no then that's the problem well to me it's a great casual format but it needs some way to guarantee that the good players play each other it has to guarantee that part in pin golf do you have a playoff you have to have a playoff in pin golf that is a rule they made that because it would have been ridiculous otherwise you know i actually didn't know that well, <laughs> i should i should know it though <laughs> do you have to have direct play yes that is yeah. essentially, in a way, a playoff. Well, and that goes back to the, like the league changes. I know a lot of people were upset this past year. We made those league changes. They had that direct play, and it's the same reasoning, right? People. I agree. I totally agree. But anyway, that's just a sidebar, <laughs> and uh, and for another story. And like you said, you're pleading the fifth. I'm picking on the wrong guy here, <laughs> but I did want to get some of your points too. We were talking about this kind of tournament, this pump and dump tournament. Here's an interesting thing. So you had to have five games. Your best five games would be scored, and that determines where you are. Now, we've seen this a few times, where people have played games, after two games they go, you know what, I'm not playing. Because they didn't play 50%, they don't count in the tournament. And maybe they want to protect their ranking, their rating, their top 100, their power 100, whatever the heck it is. So they bail. Now this pump and dump format allows you to void your score. There are people I know that played three different games, voided two of them, and you and I talk, and I know you agree with me, that they played three games. Yeah. And they're not counting in the tournament. What the hell? 
Yeah, th- this is a thing we we have to weigh the positive and negatives on. So the reason why that rule exists is because um, in the past, I'm not going to name names, but we do know of people that basically set up tournaments and and gave like free tickets out and just pumped the numbers up. So in fact, actually, I will call somebody out because I was involved with it. Louisville used to do this, the very early days of Louisville. Everybody that came to the show got one entry or two or three entries in the tournament. So basically, there was 168 players played at Louisville. The truth is only like 40 people played in the tournament that really played. We do know of other tournaments that were artificially inflating. So how do you separate that situation versus what we know happened here today, you know, this weekend? Where we know it was legitimate. He didn't do that. He he just couldn't be the one of the people couldn't uh, the guys couldn't be here for the weekend. So he's like, you know what? I'm gonna leave. I can't do this. So how do you weigh how do you separate those two? Here's the solution, and you and I both agree. <laughs> when you play in a pump and dump and you play a game, the first time you play that game, you're not allowed to void that game. That score counts. You choose to play it, yep. and it's the first time you've played it, no voiding your first game. I can get behind that change. In fact, we've joke for a long time about what if we just didn't allow voids at all well there's that as well too i mean you're gonna have a problem with uh the the papa ticket format but we're not talking about this we're talking pump and dump the first time you play attack from mars you cannot void it that score counts so you're making the choice to play it that's true but the but the throw this back at you what would happen if um you know i came in played two games and left so i still didn't get my three out of five that's fine you had to play three we have people that played three. They entered one score and voided two scores. You and I called Josh. We called him and said, does that person count? He said no because those voided entries don't affect the tournament. Well, hold on a second. The one he entered did affect the tournament. Yeah, and that that's the crux of the problem, right? Is is Well, solve the problem. Make the rule change for God's sakes. But again, what happens? What if he didn't void the other What if he just played one game? What what if he came If he in, just played one, he doesn't count. But he didn't that's not the issue. But, hold on, but but your question your statement was he affected the tournament. What if I came in, put number 1 on attack from Mars and then left? So I took number 1 away from somebody else. So maybe in the software you remove those scores if they're if they're not counted as players. Maybe they don't count in the in the tournament. Well, that will definitely be up to. That's a software thing that can be fixed. <laughs> well, that'll definitely up to be up to uh, Carl. I'll and, give Carl a call and, the, and those guys uh, that do that stuff. <laughs> but the easy fix is that first game is impossible to void. Yeah, I mean, and there's also you could do things like uh, no new players after 4 p.m. on Friday, right? When sure. when we've had the game rule, the game malfunctioned majorly after 4 p.m. It was gone. You could do the same thing there. there there's, there's, there's solutions. Yes, and that's the point. And that's why we make these changes everywhere. We talk to people. We find. We look for exploits, right? That's what we want to find, and we want to correct them so people can't imbalance the system. And something like this is a great conversation. One more player situation. You're in a tournament. There's, say, 13 rounds of match play. You bail after three rounds. I'm. Oh, my God. I took zero on all three. I don't <laughs> want to play. I'm out. And it was a limited tournament, and somebody couldn't get in because you decide to leave is this a possibility they don't count towards the number of players that are in the tournament because so that'd be 140 rated players let's say well that player didn't play a full thing it's 138 or 139 but it is going to go on your card as last place i honestly don't know i it's it's a like i said i think it's a problem that there's not a straight answer to and every answer has another problem you know what we're sitting here in a crowded arcade trying to solve the world's problems but we're we're just 
brainstorming. I'm sure this is how a lot of ideas have happened as well. I wanted to bring up one more thing because I don't want to keep you here. Oh, that's good. I have nothing to do but talk. I can talk all night. Well, okay. We're not leaving. <laughs> you and I were talking about, again, the back end of the IFBA. And I've talked with Adam Becker, a friend as well, about you know what he has to do and he's done so much in the past. And who's the person in Europe that's helping you? Uh, Michael Trepp. I want to give Michael a shout-out as well. Because without the three of you and others involved in the IFBA, this thing we like to joke about and complain about, we actually really love. That's why we're so passionate about it. And, and we do love it. And the work that you people put into it. So thank you. I was shocked to learn how many TDs do not get their tournaments posted in time and actually lose that whole tournament. Maybe the tournament didn't happen or maybe they weren't happy with the results. Maybe they didn't pay the IFPA fee. That happens a lot, you told me. Yeah, I don't know the official number, but I would say that uh, probably at least a minimum of five per week don't meet the 45-day submission window You know that we give. And, it, and it's not like you don't email several times, hey, just congratulations, your tournament's over. Please submit your fees and your tournament results. You give all kinds of reminders. Yeah, we actually do uh, three reminders. I think you get one after two days, one after seven, one after 14, I think. And then, um, and then you know, tournament directors, obviously there's always reasons why tournaments are not held. They can, go and they can go and delete the tournament from the system themselves if they want to. But uh, like I said, it's gone down since COVID came back. Like at the beginning, especially the first couple months this year, it was pretty bad. But it's a lot of it's weeklies too. It's nothing major. Like it's not these big tournaments doing it. It's definitely weeklies and stuff that are doing it. But it happens. Hopefully we can help uh, encourage it not to happen as much. Do you think it happens where the tournament actually took place? I think in some cases it could happen where these some of the smaller you know weeklies where you may get 10, 12 people and then one week, the only three or four people show up, and they decide, you know what, heck with it, we're not going to have the tournament. I think it does happen. I just wish we knew a little bit more about that. Just uh, you know, see if there's anything we do to help address it. I've run a lot of tournaments, quite a few, in fact. Yeah. I have a 100% record <laughs> for putting in tournaments that happen. But I wonder what other TDs, you know, how many tournaments they put in. Oh, my God. I have numbers on most of this because I'm, kind of I'm kind of a stats guy. Yeah, and it should be posted. Uh, well, there will be stuff coming next year. I've shown a lot of people this over. Actually, it's been ready for two years. I never published it. There will be director profile pages and stuff. Oh, 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 oh. You'll be able to follow directors and get emails like when they post results and stuff like that. So there's a lot of that stuff coming. Uh, we want to. I personally want to start promoting directors more, just how we promote you know players right now. Right? There's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that happens. You know, a lot of. TDs that like the you know the folks this weekend right that bust their butt to, to do this stuff and you know there's a little name on a tournament page so you know hopefully we can start encouraging you know we can start promoting those folks more and uh, you know give them some recognition that they deserve. Well, I want to give you and the IFPA and even that Josh quote unquote <laughs> dictator a recognition because you've certainly made this hobby into a massive passion for so many people, myself included, and it is a lot of hard work. It's a lot of time. It's not like you're making the millions of dollars, or are you? I have never taken anything for uh, any money or anything for this. In fact, the, 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 the compliment Josh, he's actually offered over the years, like, hey, I'll pay your flight out to Seattle or, or to Becker's. And I've turned it down because I'd rather use that money for, you know, to give to, like, youth tournaments or anything, something to promote the hobby. I don't do this to make money. I do this because, well, I find it interesting. That's why I do it. You're a good person. But people like yourself that put in this time for everyone else, some sort of compensation, some sort of uh, gratitude, something needs to be in place, whether it's publicly, whether it's financially, whatever the case may be, because, 
again, it brings so many people joy and amazes me at tournaments when you count the number of volunteers. Like, there were quite a few people playing this tournament. Maybe 10 volunteers? Maybe? Like, in the actual tournament? No, I think there's 15? more. There's probably 15. I think, um, it's. I don't know, there's a lot of scorekeepers that, that helped that I didn't know, so I know, it's probably about 15, I would say. You're probably right. If you want to help out, and you go to a tournament, ask, is there anything I can do? Can I go grab you a bite to eat because you've been here for 10 hours? Can I give you a break to go to the washroom? Give me an iPad so I can score. I wish there was more of that because it makes the tournaments run smoother. It's less stress on the TDs because at the end of a tournament, they're bagged. 100%. In fact, uh, you know, you do the same thing I do. A lot of times when I go to these pump and dumps, I just score keep while I'm waiting. As long as, you know, it's it's a, we got to help where we can, right? Obviously, we would love to have paid staff to help with all that. But until we get to that point, we can, you know, help out where we can. If you ever go to a tournament or even to a show and you see somebody, like, busting down a game, offer to help them. You know, it's a great way to meet people, for one. But, two, the people that bring these games and run these tournaments put a lot of, lot of effort in for not a lot of things. But you enjoy it. How many years have you been doing it? 16? Like, were you playing before you were in the IFA? Yes, in fact, my first tournament was Pinburg 2001, I think, when it was on top of the hotel uh, at the Holiday Inn. And then I did Expo that later that year, and that's kind of what kicked everything off. And then uh, kind of my getting really into it was I joined the Chicago League. I was in, I, from Columbus, Ohio, and me and three friends in Columbus went to Chicago once a month, and we got to play, you know, Basically against all the Williams, you know, developers and stuff. But get this, you know, and that's what really hooked me because I got to see great players play on great machines. But yeah, almost uh, 20 years now. Do you have a favorite moment out of the 20 plus years? Um, if I had to pick one, it was probably winning B Division at Pinburg. I think the first or second year we had Pinburg against Steve Bowden, which is great because he's so much better than I am now. That's a good feather in your cap. I think Pinburg was one of my absolute favorites. I mean, obviously we saw it grow to a thousand people. And I never once made a playoff, never even came close. I made the A's a bunch of times, but it was just such a great grind. And I thought, boy, there is, I don't know if there's anything better than match play. Yeah, I mean, it's so exciting. I, I, I wish I could uh, do better at the big tournaments like Indisc and stuff, but uh, I know my place, but I always keep trying because you never know, right? It's, it's fun to compete. Brian, thanks for everything you do. Thanks. Glad to have you here. See, Josh, I got him. <laughs> no unicorn, just Brian Shepard in the flesh. This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com. All past episodes, subscriptions, and more. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Pinball Profile. We're on Facebook as well. And you can email pinballprofile at gmail.com. I'm Jeff Teolis. Pinball Profile.